Part One of Child Christopher and Goldilyn the Fair by William Morris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One of the King of Oakenrealm and his wife and his child. Of old there was a land which was so much a woodland that a minstrel thereof said it that a squirrel might go from end to end and all about from tree to tree and never touch the earth therefore was that land called oakenrealm the lord and king thereof was a stark man and so great a warrior that in his youth he took no delight in aught else save battle and tourneys but when he was hard on forty years old he came across a daughter of a certain lord whom he had vanquished and his eyes bewrayed him into longing so that he gave back to the said lord the havings he had conquered of him that he might lay the maiden in his kingly bed so he brought her home with him to oakenrealm and wedded her tells the tale that he rued not his bargain but loved her so dearly that for a year round he wore no armour save when she bade him play in the tilt-yard for her desport and pride so wore the days till she went with child and was near her time and then it betid that three kings who marched on oakenrealm banded them together against him and his lords and thanes cried out on him to lead them to battle and it behoved him to do as they would so he sent out the tokens and bade an hosting at his chief city and when all was ready he said farewell to his wife and her babe unborn and went his ways to battle once more but fierce was his heart against the foemen that they had dragged him away from his love and his joy even amidst of his land he joined battle with the host of the ravagers and the tale of them is short to tell for they were as the wheat before the hook but as he followed up the chase a mere thrall of the fleers turned on him and cast his spear and it reached him whereas his hauberk was broken and stood deep in so that he fell to earth on mighty and when his lords and chieftains drew about him and cunning men strove to heal him it was of no avail and he knew that his soul was departing then he sent for a priest and for the marshal of the host who was a great lord and the son of his father's brother and in few words bade him look to the babe whom his wife bore about and if it were a man to cherish him and do him to learn all that a king ought to know and if it were a maiden that he should look to her wedding well and worthily and he let swear him on his sword on the edges and the hilts that he would do even so and be true unto his child if child there were and he bade him have rule if so be the lords would and all the people till the child were of age to be king and the marshal swore and all the lords who stood around bear witness to his swearing thereafter the priest houselled the king and he received his creator and a little while after his soul departed but the marshal followed up the fleeing foe and two battles more he fought before he beat them flat to earth and then they craved for peace and he went back to the city in mickle honour but in the king's city of oakenham he found but little joy for both the king was bemoaned whereas he had been no hard man to his folk and also when the tidings and the king's corpse came back to oakenrealm his lady and queen took sick for sorrow and fear 
and fell into labour of her child, and in childing of a man bairn she died, but the lad lived and was like to do well. So there was one funeral for the slain king and for her whom his slaying had slain, and when that was done, the little king was born to the font, and at his christening he gat to name Christopher. Thereafter the marshal summoned all them that were due thereto to come, and give homage to the new king, and even so did they, though he were but a babe, yea, and who had but just now been a king lying in his mother's womb. But when the homage was done, then the marshal called together the wise men, and told them how the king that was had given him in charge his son as then unborn, and the ruling of the realm till the said son were come to man's estate. But he bade them seek one worthier if they had heart to gainsay the word of their dying lord. Then all they said that he was worthy and mighty, and the choice of their dear lord, and that they would have none but he. So then was the great folk-mote called, and the same matter was laid before all the people, and none said aught against it, whereas no man was ready to name another to that charge and rule, even had it been his own self. Now then, by law was the marshal, who hight Rolf, lord and earl of the land of Oakenrealm. He ruled well and strongly, and was a fell warrior. He was well befriended by many of the great, and the rest of them feared him and his friends. As for the commonalty, they saw that he held the realm in peace, and as for the rest, they knew little and saw less of him, and they paid to his bailiffs and sheriffs as little as they could, and more than they would. But whereas that left them somewhat to grind their teeth on, and they were not harried, they were not so ill-content. So the marshal throve, and lacked nothing of a king's place, save the bare name. CHAPTER Two, OF THE KING'S SON As for the king's son, to whom the folk had of late done homage as king, he was at first seen about a corner of the high house with his nurses, and then in a while it was said, and the tale noted, but not much, that he must needs go for his health's sake, and because he was puny, to some stead amongst the fields, and folk heard say that he was gone to the strong house of a knight, somewhat stricken in years, who was called Lord Richard the Lean. The said house was some twelve miles from Oakenham, not far from the northern edge of the Wildwood, but in a while, scarce more than a year, Lord Richard brake up the house at the said castle, and went southward through the forest. Of this departure was little said, for he was not a man amongst the foremost. As for the king's little son, if any remembered that he was in the hands of the said Lord Richard, none said aught about it, for if any thought of the little babe at all, they said to themselves, Never will he come to be king. Now as for Lord Richard the lean, he went far through the wood, and until he was come to another house of his, that stood in a clearing somewhat near to where Oakenrealm marched on another country, which hight Medum, though the said Wildwood ended not where Oakenrealm ended, but stretched a good way into Medum, and betwixt one and the other, much rough country there was. It is to be said that amongst those who went to this stronghold of the woods was the little King Christopher, no longer puny, but a stout babe enough. So he was born amongst the serving men and thralls to the castle of the outer march, and he was in no wise treated as a great man's son. But there was more than one woman who was kind to him, 
and as he waxed in strength and beauty month by month both carl and queen fell to noting him and for as little as he was he began to be well beloved as to the stead where he was nourished though it were far away amongst the woods it was no such lonely or savage place besides the castle and the houses of it there was a merry thorpe in the clearing the houses whereof were set down by the side of a clear and pleasant little stream moreover the good men and swains of the said township were no ill folk but bold of heart free of speech and goodly of favour and the women of them fair kind and trusty whiles came folk journeying in to oakenrealm or out to Meadham, and of these some were minstrels who had with them tidings of what was astir whereas folk were thicker in the world and some chapmen who chaffered with the thorpe dwellers and took of them the woodland spoil for such outland goods as those woodmen needed so wore the years and in oakenham king christopher was well-nigh forgotten and in the wildwood had never been known clearly for king's son at first by command of rolf the marshal a messenger came every year from lord richard with a letter that told of how the lad christopher did but when five years were worn the marshal bade send him tidings thereof every three years and by then it was come to the twelfth year and still the tidings were that the lad throve ever and meanwhile the marshal sat fast in his seat with none to gainsay the word went to lord richard that he should send no more for that he the marshal had heard enough of the boy and if he throve it were well and if not it was no worse so wore the days and the years Chapter three of the King of Medum and his daughter tells the tale that in the country which lay south of Oakenrealm and was called Medum, there was in these days a king whose wife was dead, but had left him a fair daughter, who was born some four years after King Christopher. A good man was this King Roland, mild, bounteous, and no regarder of persons in his justice, and well beloved he was of his folk yet could not their love keep him alive for whenas his daughter was of the age of twelve years he sickened unto death and so when he knew that his end drew near he sent for the wisest of his wise men and they came unto him sorrowing in the high house of his chiefest city which hight mead hampstead so he bade them sit down nigh unto his bed and took up the word and spake masters my good lords ye may see clearly that a sundering is at hand and that i must needs make a long journey whence i shall come back never now i would and i am verily of duty bound thereto that i leave behind me some good order in the land furthermore i would that my daughter when she is of age thereto should be queen in Medum and rule the land neither will it be many years before she shall be of ripe age for ruling if ever she may be and i deem not that there shall be any lack in her whereas her mother could all courtesy and was as wise as a woman may be but how say ye my masters so they all with one consent said yea and they would ask for no better king than their lady his daughter then said the king hearken carefully for my time is short yet is she young and a maiden though she be wise now therefore do i need some man well looked to of the folk who shall rule the land in her name till she be of eighteen winters 
and who shall be her good friend and counsellor into all wisdom thereafter which of you my masters is meet for this matter then they all looked one on the other and spake not and the king said speak some one of you without fear this is no time for tarrying thereon spake an elder the oldest of them and said lord this is the very truth that none of us here present are meet for this office whereas among other matters we be all unmeet for battle some of us have never been warriors and other some are past the age for leading an host to say the sooth king there is but one man in meadham who may do what thou wilt and not fail both for his wisdom and his might of field and the account which is had of him amongst the people and that man is earl geoffrey of the southern marches ye say sooth quoth the king but is he down in the south or nigh at a hand said the elder he is as now in meadhamstead and may be in this chamber in scant half an hour so the king bade send for him and there was silence in the chamber till he came in clad in a scarlet kirtle and a white coat and with his sword by his side he was a tall man bigly made somewhat pale of face black and curly of hair blue-eyed thin-lipped and hook-nosed as an eagle a man warrior-like and somewhat fierce of aspect he knelt down by the king's bedside and asked him in a sorrowful voice what he would and the king said i ask a great matter of thee and all these my wise men and i myself withal deem that thou canst do it and thou alone nay hearken i am departing and i would have thee hold my place and do unto my people even what i would do if i myself were living and to my daughter as nigh to that as may be i say all this thou mayst do if thou wilt be as trusty and leal to me after i am dead as thou hast seemed to all men's eyes to have been while i was living what sayest thou the earl had hidden his face in the coverlet of the bed while the king was speaking but now he lifted up his face weeping and said kinsman and friend and king this is naught hard to do but if it were yet would i do it it is well said the king my heart fails me and my voice so so give heed and set thine ear close to my mouth hearken belike my daughter goldilind shall be one of the fairest of women i bid thee wed her to the fairest of men and the strongest and to none other thereat his voice failed him indeed and he lay still but he died not till presently the priest came to him and as he might houseled him then he departed as for earl geoffrey when the king was buried and the homages done to the maiden goldilind he did no worse than those wise men deemed of him but bestirred him and looked full sagely into all the matters of the kingdom and did so well therein that all men praised his rule perforce whether they loved him or not and sooth to say he was not much beloved chapter four of the maiden goldilind amidst of all his other business earl geoffrey bethought him in a while of the dead king's daughter and he gave her in charge to a gentlewoman somewhat stricken in years a widow of high lineage but not over wealthy 
she dwelt in her own house in a fair valley some twenty miles from Meadhamstead. There abode Goldilind till a year and a half was worn, and had due observance, but little love and not much kindness from the said gentlewoman, who hight Dame Eleanor Leeshow. Howbeit, time and again came knights and ladies and lords to see the little lady, and kissed her hand and did obeisance to her. Yet more came to her in the first three months of her sojourn at Leeshow than the second, and more in the second than the third. At last, on a day when the said year and a half was fully worn, thither came Earl Geoffrey with a company of knights and men-at-arms, and he did obeisance, as due was, to his master's daughter, and then spake a while privily with Dame Eleanor, and thereafter they went into the hall, he and she and Goldilind, and there before all men he spake aloud and said, my lady goldilind me seemeth ye dwell here all too straitly but neither is this house of leeshow great enough for thy state and the entertainment of the knights and lords who shall have will to seek thee hither nor is the wealth of thy liege dame and governant as great as it should be and thou me seemeth wouldst have it wherefore i have been considering thy desires herein and if thou deem it meet to give a gift to dame eleanor and live queenlier thyself than now thou dost then mayst thou give unto her the castle of green harbour and the six manors appertaining thereto and with all the rights of wildwood and fen and fell that lie thereabout also if thou wilt thou mayst honour the said castle with abiding there a while at thy pleasure and I shall see to it that thou have due many to go with thee thither. How sayest thou, my lady? Amongst that company there were two or three who looked at each other and half smiled, and two or three looked on the maiden, who was goodly as of her years, as if with compassion. But the more part kept countenance in full courtly wise. Then spake Goldilind in a quavering voice, for she was afraid and wise, and she said, cousin and earl we will that all this be done and it likes me well to eke the wealth of this lady and my good friend dame eleanor quoth earl geoffrey kneel before thy lady dame and put thine hands between hers and thank her for the gift so dame eleanor knelt down and did homage and obeisance for her new land and goldilind raised her up and kissed her and bade her sit down beside her and spake to her kindly and all men praised the maiden for her gentle and courteous ways, and Dame Eleanor smiled upon her and them what she could. She was small of body and sleek, but her cheeks somewhat flagging, brown eyes she had, long half-opened, thin lips and chin somewhat falling away from her mouth, hard on fifty winters had she seen, yet there have been those who were older and goodlier both. Chapter 5. Goldilind Comes to Green Harbour But a little while tarried the Earl of Geoffrey at Leeshow, but departed next morning and came to Meadhamstead. A month thereafter came folk from him to Leeshow, to wit, the new many for the new abode of Goldilind, amongst whom was a goodly band of men-at-arms, led by an old lord pinched and peevish of face, who kneeled to Goldilind as the new burgreave of Green Harbour, and a chaplain, a black canon, young, broad-cheeked and fresh-looking, but hard-faced and unlovely. Three new damsels withal were come for the new queen, not young maids, but stalworth women, well-grown, 
and two of them hard-featured, the third tall, black-haired, and a goodly-fashioned body. Now when these were come, who were all under the rule of Dame Eleanor, there was no gainsaying the departure to the new home, and in two days' time they went their ways from Leeshow. But though Goldilind was young, she was wise, and her heart misgave her, when she was amidst this new many, that she was not riding toward glory and honour, and a world of worship and friends beloved. Howbeit, what so might lie before her, she put a good face upon it, and did to those about her queenly, and with all courtesy. Five days they rode from Leeshow north away, by Thorpe and town and mead and river, till the land became little peopled, and the sixth day they rode in the wild wood ways, where there was no folk, save now and again the little cot of some forester or collier, but the seventh day, about noon, they came into a clearing of the wood, a rugged little plain of Leeland, mingled with marish, with a little deal of acre-land in barley and rye, round about a score of poor-frame houses, set down scatter-meal about the lee. But on a long ridge at the northern end of the said plain was a grey castle, strong and with big and high towers, yet not so much greater than was Leeshow, deemed Goldilind as for a dwelling-house. Howbeit they entered the said castle, and within as without it was somewhat grim, though naught was lacking of plenishing due for folk nightly. Long it were to tell of its walls and baileys and chambers, but let this suffice, that on the north side toward the thick forest was a garden of greensward and flowers and pot-herbs, and a garth-wall of grey stone, not very high, was the only defence thereof toward the wood. But it was overlooked by a tall tower of the great wall, which hides the forester's tower. In the said outer garth wall also was a postern, whereby there was not seldom coming in and going out. Now when Goldilind had been in her chamber for a few days, she found out for certain what she had before misdoubted, that she had been brought from Leeshow, and the peopled parts near to Meadhamstead, into the uttermost parts of the realm, to be kept in prison there. Howbeit, it was in a way prison courteous. She was still served with observance, and bowed before, and called my lady and queen, and so forth. Also, she might go from chamber to hall, and chapel, to and fro, yet scarce alone, and into the garden she might go, yet not for the more part unaccompanied and even at whiles she went out a gates, but then ever with folk on the right hand and the left. Forsooth, whiles and again, within the next two years of her abode at Green Harbour, out of gate she went and alone, but that was as the prisoner who strives to be free, although she had, forsooth, no thought or hope of escape, and as the prisoner brought back, was she chastised when she came within gates again. Everywhere to be short, within and about the castle of Green Harbour, did Goldilind meet the will and the tyranny of the little sleek widow, Dame Eleanor, to whom both Carl and Queen, in that corner of the world, were but as servants and slaves to do her will. And the said Eleanor, who at first was but spiteful in word and look towards her lady, waxed worse as time wore, and as the blossom of the king's daughter's womanhood began to unfold, till at last the she-jailer had scarce feasted any day when she had not in some wise grieved and tormented her prisoner, 
and whatever she did, none had might to say her nay. But Goldilin took all with a high heart, and her courage grew with her years. Nor would she bow the head before any grief, but took to her whatsoever solace might come to her, as the pleasure of the sun and the wind, and the beholding of the greenery of the wood, and the fowl and the beasts playing, which oft she saw afar, and whiles anear, though whiles forsooth she saw naught of it all, whereas she was shut up betwixt four walls, and that not of her chamber, but of some bare and foul prison of the castle, which, with other griefs, must she needs thole under the name and guise of penance. However, she waxed so exceeding fair and sweet and lovely, that the loveliness of her pierced to the hearts of many of her jailers, so that some of them, and specially of the squires and men-at-arms, would do her some easement which they might do unrebuked, or not sorely rebuked, as bringing her flowers in the spring, or whiles a singing-bird or a squirrel, and an old man there was of the men-at-arms, who would ask leave, and get it at whiles, and come to her in her chamber or the garden, and tell her minstrel tales and the like for her joyance. Sooth to say, even the pinched heart of old Burgreave was somewhat touched by her, and he alone had any might to stand between her and Dame Eleanor, so that but for him it had gone much harder with her than it did. For the rest, none entered the castle from the world without, nay, not so much as a travelling monk or a friar on his wanderings, save and except some messenger of Earl Geoffrey, who had errand with Dame Eleanor or the Burgreave. So wore the days and the seasons, till it was now more than four years since she had left Leeshow, and her eighteenth summer was beginning. But now the tale leaves telling of Goldilind, and goes back to the matters of Oakenrealm, and therein to what has to do with King Christopher and Rolf the Marshal. End of part one.